Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Female Film Critics Panel. And this is so exciting today. I am very thrilled. Today we have with us, we only have one guest because it's just so epic. I, I didn't need to have any other members of the panel to have Claudia Puig here. She is the former film critic for USA Today and the president of the LA Film Critics Association and program director for Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Claudia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate well, it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, this was very, very exciting because I have admired your work for a long time and uh, I had gotten your email from a friend and I had emailed you and I didn't hear anything back. And I'm like, oh, she, she's uh, she's probably just too busy because she's super amazing. And and then I, I was just... I don't know, kind of bored and and thinking, who could I get on in May? And I was like, I'm going to try it again. So then I emailed you. And of course, they had gone to spam uh, the previous time. And so I was so thrilled when you responded. And and uh, so thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I My really, pleasure. really appreciate it. Yes. No, I love to uh, talk about, you know, it's so important that we get more women in criticism. And I just, that's, that's, you know, that and diversity in general is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So I'm always happy. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you what, how did you get your start? Did you grow up loving film? Did you watch a lot of film with your family? Your, yeah, your parents? I did. I did grow up um, loving film and I had two film loving parents. I'm an only child. And, um, my father is a college professor. My mother actually had a little career. She was on contract with MGM. She was she did um, dubbing of movies into Spanish. So both my parents are born in Mexico. Um, Spanish was my first language, and so back in the she she dubbed the voice of Judy Garland in Meet Me in St. Louis. No way. Yeah, and Jane and Tarzan. Although it's a little bit more said in Meet Me in St. Louis. <laughs> but um, yeah, so she had a very beautiful, mellifluous voice. And, and um, so she loved movies. She was brought up by like, she had an older sister. She came from a very big family. She had an older sister who was like 10 years older, who was always taking her to movies in the classic days of movies. And so I grew up with her, you know, kind of love of Hollywood classic cinema. And then my dad was this much more avant-garde adventurous kind of guy. So he would take me to like Fellini films and, and, you know, uh, like all manner of, you know, Truffaut or, you know, just everything. And, and probably things that I should not have been seeing at a very young age, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but I probably worked because of it. But anyway, I was, I was brought up on, you know, all kinds of like, I remember as a kid going to see the garden of the fiends, it was like, Sconti, I think. Anyway, just you know, grow, growing up on all that, and then my mother sitting me down and saying, "When to kill a mockingbird came on, was it to kill? Yeah, to kill a mockingbird." And she also really loved Keys of the Kingdom. I remember, and she sat me down. And she's like, "Watch this performance of Gregory Peck. He's amazing." And so I, I was getting my little kind of training as a kid. So I just grew up loving films. That is great. So you were introduced to not only English films, but uh, films in Spanish and other languages from an early age. Yeah, early age. Absolutely. Italian, French, Spanish, um, you know, all the stuff that was like Nouvelle Vague, you know, just all the stuff that was happening in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And then, you know, I continued watching those just mm -hmm. out of my own interest. So, yeah. What did you think of these kind of like heady, heady more uh, French New Wave, you know, these films that you saw as a young, as a young kid? I, you know, I remember going to see, it was probably eight and a half or, uh, or 
maybe it was Satyricon. It was a Fellini movie. And I, uh-huh. there were parts that they thought were maybe slightly not so appropriate. So they would send me out to get popcorn. Like, oh, oh you know. nice. <laughs> but I remember just going like, wow, this is weird, you know, and just trying to like make sense of it. But I also kind of just accepted it and absorbed it. And yeah. um, so, yeah, I, I'm sure it's informed my taste. Um and also taught me a lot, you know, about different cultures and just opened. I love to read too. So, you know, all of that kind of comes together. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of yeah, the same thing with, so my your, girls, with my daughter. Was your mom a singer then? If I guess if she, she wasn't dubbed a for singer. Judy? Um, she didn't dub Judy Garland's singing voice. She dubbed oh, speaking okay. voice. Yeah, no. She actually, she did record a, a record in Spanish, but um, she wasn't really a singer per se. Uh-huh. So it was dubbing of the of the dialogue oh neat yeah yeah and so like, great. when i raised i have two daughters that are now grown and i did the same thing with them i like i sat them down to watch to kill a mockingbird i took them to all kinds of foreign films and you know sort yeah. of dissected and analyzed films with them and stuff so maybe they'll pass this will just keep going down <laughs> yeah my parents were were and are not much uh of uh, we're not big movie fans really? uh so yes but one thing I know it. Well, it's so funny because all of us uh, kids are kind of movie buffs, and and uh, and I don't know. It's just it's an interesting thing. My mom's more of a reader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom loves to read, and but the one thing that they did do that I think was very helpful is that they always encouraged uh, conversation about whatever, whether we're reading something, whether we're watching something. Great. Uh, to not just sort of mindlessly consume content, right. to just to think about it. What is it you like about it? And we would have these long conversations, usually in the kitchen. That's great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And so that that I think they were excellent in it. And I didn't really realize that that was unusual or special until I went uh, to college. And I would try to have some of these same kind of conversations that I would always have with my mom. Uh, and and my dad on occasion when he when he wasn't working 70 80 hours a week um but uh but i would have these conversations with my friends and they would be very annoyed they're like we just want to watch the movie we don't want (laughs) yeah no it's funny how when you grow up like that and you're kind of analyzing dissecting and just sort of thinking about it and yeah you know and the rest of the world kind of goes yeah i liked it or it's boring or yeah it was you you know (laughs) and i i mean to me that was part of the fun of it yeah totally. like talking about it absolutely i think that's a really i i I did that a lot with my parents too and they were also big readers um and i think it's all kind of connected it's just kind of Mm -hmm. having conversations about storytelling about content as you say and not mindlessly just absorbing it and you know moving Mm -hmm. on so I think growing up, it actually helped in kind of inspire the cri- the inner critic mm-hmm. in me because mm-hmm. that just what I that's how I was raised. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, cool. uh, h- how did you end up going uh, into like you you got your degree in in um, journalism, correct? In communications, actually, I went oh, to UCLA okay. and they didn't have a journalism major when I was there, so it was mass communications, which was kind of an introduce well was an interdisciplinary major so you took communications classes and uh, I mm-hmm. actually there was they had a graduate degree or a little fledged a little bit of a leftover degree in journalism so I would take some journalism classes like a magazine writing class but um you know it, basically this was kind of you took some social sciences and some anthropology and some English and um and then I went to graduate school and studied communications at USC Annenberg School so it was um, I kind of 
fell into journalism later. I was really more, I began kind of as an English major. I studied literature mm. at Cambridge and also in Mexico and I loved anthropology. So I was not necessarily thinking about being a critic, although I did work on the Daily Bruin. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, doing like copy editing and stuff. So I, I, I'd always loved to write. So I was a little girl. I was always writing little stories and stuff. And my mother mm-hmm. would save them all. And, um, so yeah, it really wasn't until I was, you know, kind of out of graduate school and deeper into like my late 20s that I kind of, I heard about this program at the LA Times called um, METPRO, Minority Educational Training Program. And I just, it was up at like the UCLA job board. I called them up and talked to this nice person who was in charge of it. And they said, oh, well, you need to get some, get some more experience because the people who are applying are like journalism majors or they've worked on their papers and they have all this stuff to submit. So I went to work for like a little tiny, like twice weekly paper up in Glendale and um, did that for a year and then applied and got into that program, uh, which mm. was like a little... J school kind of condensed because you had like three months of like a classroom session. And then they put you in uh, like the, when they, when the times had um, bureaus like the West side or orange County or the Valley, and you would do cops and then you do courts. So you really did get this great training in basic journalism on the job. Mm-hmm. So then you went from that to working in like local news and entertainment reporting. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I worked, um, Probably, let's say I started in 86, and then in 89, I went over to the calendar section and started writing about, first I wrote about radio. I wrote about Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh. It was kind of the rise of that era. And then, but film was really what I wanted to get into. And so, um, yeah, I kind of worked my way into the film end of things. I wrote stories about the film industry, you know, interviewing mm. directors and producers and some actors and doing profiles. And then it wasn't until I went over to USA Today that I started to actually do reviews. And when they hired me, they hired me to, to write about the industry. And I always said, you know, writing about the industry is sort of like if you're in Detroit writing about, you know, the, the auto industry, because it's like mm-hmm. Hollywood, it's, you know, based in LA. Um, but anyway, I remember asking them, can I review some movies? Because I really, I consciously thought like, what can you age into that will, you know, because you can't go chasing like, you know, stories i thought you know when you're old and so you need to have something that like you know you can kind of uh be an older person and, and your opinion is valued and so i asked if i could um review and i was told eh, probably not and then i said well look i'm the only one that has kids can i do like family movies and so they threw me a bone and gave me dog of flanders so there was a bone involved and that was mm. the first movie i reviewed and then from there i kind of worked my way into like being the second string person and then eventually became the lead critic and then, and the lone mm-hmm. critic. <laughs> did you have to work kind of a lot with editors at first and then, or did you immediately kind of have your, your style and your, uh, I think I worked, I had this wonderful editor, the guy who had hired me, Dennis Moore. And he said, I think she can do this. And I'm going to personally be her editor, even though he was kind of like higher up and he was doing other stuff. he like became my, you know, he was like, kind of looking over my stuff and making sure that I, uh, you know, that whatever that I had, what it took. And I really feel grateful to him because he kind of took me, you know, it took the time to edit my stuff. And I studied a lot of, I I would uh, sleep with, uh, with volumes of Pauline Kale by my bed and like Mm -hmm. try to absorb and read the critics that I really admired and just try to get a sense of it and watch a lot of things and kind of, 
you know, teach myself. But I will say that editor yeah. really did spend some time. Um, and I'd had some great editors at the at the times. There was a, a person named Steve Clow there who you would sit next to him and like he just somehow made your copy sing. I've had some really good editors over the years. So I think that's I feel really grateful about that. That's so good. I'm experiencing that a little bit now with um I'm actually started I've started doing uh, more theater reviews um, recently. Uh, there's this group, the Utah Theater Bloggers Association, and uh, that has been really amazing for me. Oh, that's great. And I, I've learned so much in just the last month when working with the editor that they that they have there. And just, it's interesting, the differences between writing for film and writing for theater. Oh, yeah. So what are you finding some, or some of the differences? They, they want you to be a lot more detailed in it, like... When I'm writing for film, people are so nervous about spoilers. They don't want to know what's happening in this scene or, or, you know, for me to say like, this was a really powerful moving scene that's considered a spoiler. So I can't really say that. I can just be like, he was overall good, you know, or or whatever. Whereas they, they want that. They want to be like, so-and-so did bring him home. Great. Uh, And the choreography in, you know, yeah master of the house was amazing, you know, or whatever. And, and then go into that a little bit more choreography by so-and-so. And, and uh, so that's been a big difference to that me. That is a big difference. I wonder if that's amount of detail. Does that have something to do with the fact that so many plays are, you know, um, re- like reviews or, or they're things that we we've seen before. So it's like yeah. spoiling something. They're not necessarily. That's probably part of it. Yeah. I mean, it might be different if you're talking, you know, you have writing for Broadway or some of the right. new shows right. and things like that. Yeah. And and if there's something that's like an obvious spoiler, they would still want you to keep that, sure. um, you know, like what happens at the beginning of Phantom or something. You don't want to spoil right, that for right. people who haven't seen it. <laughs> for the three people who haven't seen Phantom. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it's been an interesting experience working with him. And like, for instance, I, he caught the fact that I always say, so-and-so did a great job. And he's like, don't say that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's, that's one of those things you do in speaking, you know, like when you do a podcast or when I do the NPR show, I'll say, oh, someone did a great job or they were terrific. But I, you're just, you can be more colloquial and more conversational, yeah. whereas writing is a little more formal. And uh, I remember I kept using the word Juan, W-A-N, like this, this performance was Juan. And this editor of mine said, no, I'm banning you from using the word Juan. <laughs> <laughs> say, Dull or say, you know. I don't know, pale or solid yeah. or something, but don't say one. <laughs> there is something really satisfying though about finishing a review and being like, I nailed it. I said exactly what exactly. was what I was trying to say. Yes. And you're just like, yes. <laughs> spend the time doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, that's very true. And and there are certain, you know, you have certain working relationships with editors. I had another really wonderful editor named Patty Rule. And it was just she was full of enthusiasm and, you know, you just kind of like your minds melded together. Like you'd be, you know, I'd, I'd have something and she'd go, well, do you want to maybe change this? And together we came up with the perfect word or something that maybe individually mm-hmm. we might not have been able to. So it's, even though writing is not necessarily a collaborative thing, you know, when you have one good editor like that, um, it can make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say are some of your more memorable reviews for USA Today? Do you remember like some unpopular opinions that oh, you Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I used to, this was before, when I was there, I left in 2015. So they had, initially, they would have like comments and anybody could comment. And then they, the comments got so, across the board and the paper got so nasty that they started to like, you had, I forget how they changed it so that you had to like, maybe 
you couldn't be anonymous in your comments or something like that. Mm. People, once people had to put their names on it, then their comments were a little bit less vitriolic. Yeah. I turned off comments for any, particularly any superhero. I was going to say, so all the superhero (laughs) movies, uh, you know, the fanboys would come in and it's weird because I actually liked a lot of superhero movies. I wasn't like anti, but you know, yes, I definitely heard from a lot of angry fanboys. But the one thing I found was when I would write a review and somebody would have a very strong opinion, sometimes they would just, they would actually email you. And I would always take the time to respond. It's like they took the time to email me, then I'm going to respond. And they'd be mm-hmm. so surprised. They'd go, oh, I never expect to hear back from you. And sometimes they'd, they'd you know, it'd be pretty mean. It'd be like, you know, you must be an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And then I would be like, well, I can, you know, kind of see your point, but this is why I said this. And then we'd end up having a very reasonable, rational back and forth in emails. And they would end up going like, thank mm-hmm. you for responding. And so, and I learned some things too. Like I was thinking there was a movie by M. Night Shyamalan that I did not like called The Happening. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. (laughs) Nobody liked that movie. And it was kind of, it sort of stole from a children's book. And um, Yeah, it wasn't great. And I wrote my bad review, as did so many other people. And then somebody wrote, and they had a whole different take on it, and they explained what their take was. It didn't make me like the movie any better, but it made me think and go, oh, okay, well, the way this yeah. person approached it that's so i feel like a lot of times those comments would sort of open my mind to something and um mm-hmm. that was useful but i remember yeah, I hated- that's the dream unfortunately you have these these provocateurs mm-hmm. uh that that they really rile up those kinds of people and sort of fan the divisiveness exactly and know, it's gotten their, so much like, worse now i mean in the so it's tough years since i left it, it is tough and you know, sometimes you're just like, okay, whatever, say what you want to say. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember a conversation where like people would ask me, I didn't like Moulin Rouge. I'm not a huge Baz Luhrmann fan. I did like Romeo and Juliet. It's just not mm-hmm. my necessarily my cup of tea. Yeah. Um, it was definitely my era of music, but it's just, it didn't work. It was too frenetic for me. And I, I'm very curious about Elvis, which I haven't seen yet, but um, yeah. because of that, but so I'm not necessarily, you know, I, I always hate to say there's like people will say well what's your favorite genre movie or and i do feel like there's a good movie in every genre there's bad movies in every genre too but yeah i can't really i used to think oh i like you know psychological thrillers or oh i like a drum but and i don't like rom-coms you know or whatever and now i i can't say that because i have seen good movies in every conceivable kind of genre and i've seen good movies by by directors that maybe i didn't think i liked and i've seen bad movies by directors Mm -hmm. that i worshiped so it's, yeah. yeah, I always try to have an open mind. Yes. I just actually yesterday, I, I'm not a big whore person. I can be kind of a wimp when it comes to that. <laughs> but again, I try to have an open mind and I went and saw black phone and I really enjoyed I it. I yet. thought it was yeah, a yeah. lot of fun. It was very, it had good tension. I thought the kids were great actors. So you never know. I, you always wanna... I thought I didn't like horror movies a long time ago. And then I realized no, I do. If they're, if they're well made. Yeah. And sometimes they're of their time. Like I remember watching Blair Witch at Sundance at like the midnight showing. And I mm. thought it was terrifying. And then I saw it again, like maybe six months later and it wasn't terrifying. And <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it didn't necessarily it like the whole milieu of the midnight show. At yeah. Better, but yeah, I think it's well, so important to keep an open mind. 
As somebody who lives in Utah, I know that sun, and I've covered sunnets many, many times. Right. It definitely works as magic at times. It does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they call it, what is it, like a festival fever? You know? Yeah. The high altitude. Yeah. That tell you right. Park City. <laughs> exactly. And so we affected, you know, people who would spend like, what millions of dollars on care for uh, the Spitfire grill or, you know, or happy Texas or like these movies that are like turn out to not be good, but you know, there was like a mm-hmm. war over them. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like I always have an unpopular opinion every Sundance. Like I didn't like Brittany runs a marathon and that was sort of the festival like darling. Either. Yeah. I didn't say I, it was just too negative. I, I just couldn't root for her. She was too much of a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like the excuse was, well, she's plus size, so therefore she can be a jerk. I'm like, why no. yeah. does she get to be a jerk? <laughs> Those two ideas do not track. No. <laughs> and this year, I didn't love Cha Cha Real You Spews, know what? That's so funny. I haven't seen it. it, it uh, I was. Didn't hate it. But, but you're not alone. Amy Nicholson and I were on Film Week last week, and she felt the same way. And I have a feeling that I might, just from her description, I'll have to sit down and watch it now. Uh, I yeah. really, really loved uh, uh, Good Luck to You, Leo Grant. Yeah, that was good. Loved it. I just, and I didn't see it at Sundance. I, the last time I was, I went to Sundance in 2020 in January and I didn't do these last two Sundances um, that were virtual. So I'm, I did catch up with some of the movies, but. Um, well, if you come back, you'll have to let me know. Yeah. Cause I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Are you a fan of Rachel's reviews? Do you look forward to family movie night, female film critics panels or the talking Disney podcast? If so, please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron as a patron, you get to access monthly events, such as the watch alongs and Q and A's where you get to talk to stars and find out the behind the scenes of the movie making industry. And you can pick what I review for family movie night, or even become a guest on the podcast podcasts and YouTube channels are expensive. And I really, really could use your help. I would so appreciate it. You also get to be a member of the Facebook group where we talk about all the films that we're seeing and we have so much fun. Go to patreon.com slash hallmarkies and select one of the Rachel's fan tiers. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. Why do you think diversity and inclusion in criticism matters so much? It matters because you need just a spectrum of opinions and ways of looking at things. People with a wide range of experiences, of traditions, of lifestyles, of thoughts. Um, you know, and it, it's interesting, the idea of diversity should be also diverse not just, you know, people of a different ethnicities, but also diverse ways of looking at things and diverse thoughts mm-hmm. and, and approaches that might be, you know, out of the mainstream. I just think, yeah. you know, you don't want to get into like a group think sort of thing. And I do think that that can happen when you have all white cis male critics. And that's kind of what it's been for, you know, it was for so long. And, um, you know, and people would get a job when they're in their twenties or thirties or whatever, and then hold on to it until they're in their eighties. And, um, you know, there were always white males and, um, there just wouldn't be room for other people. And I just feel like we need to make room. We need to have a really, you know, just a, a world that's filled with different ways of approaching things and looking at things. And I think the more that we can, you know, have that, the more people, will really get value from it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting to hear different perspectives. And also I think just for the 
one reason that like Hollywood is supposedly trying to make content for all of these different groups, right? And so if you don't have people that are saying, mm, this one wasn't good, um, this, you know, do more like this other one, uh, then you're just going to get junk. Yeah. People are just going to be trying to guess yeah. what, you know, what women want or what, uh, yeah. you know, a, a minority or the PQ or whatever it might be. I mean, and you they need to have that too. group saying, this is what we as a collective audience want. Exactly. And we're going to try to guide you. I mean, also Hollywood should be diversifying its ranks. Obviously we need, you know, more yeah. color and all kinds of different people who can green light things. Um, mm -hmm. and so that needs to be happening concurrently, but you know, right. we need to have this, uh, yeah, I, it's, I always, you know, there's like little examples that I run into all the time. I remember I was reviewing, um, a documentary that Ron Howard did last year about, it's called, I think it was called Rebuilding Paradise. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. The fire, the town with fire. And it was really interesting because it's, I, I live in California. This was way, way up in the Northern part of California. I don't know it, the town very well. And so everybody was talking to kind of looked very similar. They were all white people. They were usually middle-aged. When he did talk to like a young person, it was like a young white guy. And I just thought, oh, it's one of those towns that's just, you know, filled with white people. And then there was a scene in which they read a list of the people who had been affected by the fire. And it was all these Latino names. And I'm like, it's not a town that's all interesting. white people. And he didn't bother to talk to anybody that wasn't, yeah. you know. And Because I think he had family. He did. Yeah, his in his paradise. Wife, so that's probably other, why he talked to the people that his family knew, probably. and, and they were probably alone. yeah, yeah. But you know, you have to think outside of that, and you have to yeah. make an effort. And I'm sure, as a as a white male, he didn't necessarily notice it. And that's the thing right. where I think with critics, it's the same thing. If you happen to be a white male and you're watching a movie that has like, I remember the, about Ford versus Ferrari, there was like a one female role in it, played by um, Katrina Ball. Katrina, yeah, and she's. You know, she's a good actress, but it was a very sort of stereotypical role. Like, oh, the good wife, you know, who stands behind her man. And then, oh, she maybe races around in her station wagon a little bit. But for the most part, you know, it's all men. Yeah. And all these, I was, I saw it at Telluride and all these men loved it. And I'm like, the what stood out to me was that it, I never, you know, it was just this one woman. And, but a guy just noticed that yeah. oftentimes. So, yeah. you know, you just need, you need so many more kinds of eyes and ears on the content. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, cause I cover Hallmark movies for, um, my, my other podcast and, uh, and you know, some people look at them as, Oh, well, they're all the same. Well, they're not all the same and there's good ones and there's bad right. ones. And I think it's worthwhile to have somebody out there saying that's not motivated by like box office or, or, you know, views in, in the case of television that, uh, that's a, that's, keeping tabs on kind of things before it becomes this like monster that yeah. is out of control. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and just because, yeah. you know, we have certain genres, you know, I guess you'd call Hallmark movies a genre in a way. Um, yeah. And you can call sci-fi sci movies, you know, like all those things. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they can't be, you know, look at something like Bridgerton, you know, that, that that's so right. beautifully diverse and that falls into a genre. It's like, you can, you can do anything mm -hmm. uh, and you can, yeah. Represent all kinds, and it doesn't necessarily. I don't know. I just feel like you have to. People have to think outside the box as creators, and then the critic has to think outside the box in terms of watching it and assessing. Well, and especially with Bridgerton, when it came out, I was kind of joking on Twitter. I was like, I think it's sort of ridiculous that any man is reviewing this show because it was <laughs> so obviously made to please 
women. Mm -hmm. The way that it, especially the first season, the way it was shot, that female gaze, the way it was specifically made to be, for lack of a better word, kind of lustful for women and enjoyable on that level. And, and so I, I was not interested in hearing what any man had to say about it. I was really not. I mean, it wasn't made for that. Right, I mean, right. not that they can't review it. Of course they can. Right. But I was not personally interested. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. You, so if there weren't other women critics, you'd yeah. be stuck with just their view. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so with criticism becoming so accessible, do you feel like critics and criticism still matter as far as professional I think in critics. some ways more than ever because of the, mm-hmm. the plethora of content you know yeah. like how do you make true. through so much stuff it's like you need somebody and I do this with streaming I mean I you know or I'll I'll go to the New York Times or I'll go somewhere to, to find like what am I what should I be watching I, I hear from friends and you know so I value that and I'll you know but I think you need people with informed viewpoints that can guide you more than ever because you have, you know, it's such a golden age for TV, for streaming and the content is so murky, you know, like, uh, you know, something that is in theaters is also on Hulu or on HBO or on Apple or Netflix or something. So do you want to spend that money? I mean, I do think that it's still important. And do you want to risk potentially, you know, the pandemic, you know, whatever it is you're, you're going out to do um, yeah. to theaters. And if you're not going to theaters and you're just watching it at home, you know, you, you want to spend those two hours or binging eight hours, whatever you want to spend it wisely. So I think yeah. more than ever, you need informed voices. Yeah, and I get that having a screening link is a total privilege, but can also be a major pain. Uh, contacting all the different reps and trying, sometimes it takes four or five contact, and probably not for someone like you, but for someone small like me, it does. And and it can be a real hassle. Oh, it can definitely be, and especially <laughs> now that you have, um, what was that? It's something I was watching the other day. It's like, well, Hulu's owned by Disney. So do you go to someone at Hulu? Do you go to someone at Disney? Do you, you know, and like Warner's or HBO and all that stuff. And, and then the proprietariness of the links and, you know, you have yeah. access code and all that stuff. I used to, like, I loved going to screenings. You just walk in and if your name's yeah. on the list, you get to go in, you know, it's. I know. I'm so grateful. They're, they're basically back. Thank goodness. Yes. For most of them, because yes. it was, and at least in my area, the, the like the people that did the screenings were completely unhelpful during the pandemic. I mean, they were very short staffed, so I understand. But but anything that I reviewed during that time period was from my own hustle. Wow, yeah, no, it's very um, true. It's very true. It was hard, and there's something about the camaraderie too of like seeing your colleagues at this. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I yeah, I really missed it's true. those couple of years. Yeah, it's true when I. I was not a big fan of um, Alex Garland's Men. Mm. I did not like that yeah. movie at all. And uh, but I have liked, I loved I, like um, Ex Machina and some of his other movies. Yeah, Ex Machina was yeah. good. But I was sitting there, my friend Rich was just looking at me like, "Oh no, Rich hating this movie." <laughs> you were right. Yeah, <laughs> especially that ending. Oh. I didn't see it, but um, oh, that's the other thing. I feel like I hated it. I thought it was terrible. I used but... to see everything when I was working at USA Today because I was the lone critic. So, like you know, mm-hmm. I always say I I see them so you don't have to. 
Um, yeah. But um, now that I do the radio show and I do it a couple times a month, so I'll just see what's out that week. And even then, like I didn't see Cha Cha Real Smooth because my colleague did and I watched something else. Mm-hmm. I watched Wellwood or something. So it's not quite as I, I'm, you know, people will say, well, what did you think of blah, blah, blah? And I'll be like, mm, I didn't see it. So the, the, yeah. the beauty of that is I don't have to see everything. You know, it's not on the week that I'm reviewing. But then on the other hand, I sort of feel like, oh, there's some things you just need to see because you need to see. Yeah. Well, and I think you got to find sort of your niche a little bit. Like, it's good to get out of your comfort zone, too. Yes. Uh, but uh, but definitely during the holidays, things are very tight for me. Oh, I'm yeah. seeing, I have to see so many Christmas Same. Oh, yeah. I can imagine for Hallmark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's a, it's a crazy time for everybody because, you know, we're watching all the awards contenders. Yeah. And then um, I do a lot of moderating for panels. So, if I, you know, I have to like, I mean, I have to watch it. Oh, and that'd be fun. I'm going to be talking to the filmmaker. And then I'm uh, I'm also curating a film festival. So I'm like last year we had <laughs> we had 5,000 submissions um, and we had to choose 200 films out of that. So I. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, what, how do you feel? I, do you feel like festivals are going to be able to rebound? Yeah, uh, I actually from do. This I think they are rebounding already. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we had Cannes this year and um, yeah, we're going to have Telluride. We're going to, I've already like I'm planning on Toronto and our festival, Santa Barbara international film festival was um, in March and was kind of this just sheer luck, kind of this little golden period. It was like after the the big January, February Omicron crazy Mm -hmm. and just before whatever the, these next ones have been called one and two or whatever. Um, So it was like this little oasis of like decent health. And we ended up having people from, all over the world. We had probably 20 countries represented, people from South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, um, subcontinent, India. I mean, people were so hungry to come together and enjoy films. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think, I think that model is there and people want to, you know, see it thrive. So I do think they will come back and, you know, yeah, it was really hard to do things that were virtual. I mean, it was some advantages because you could, you know, I worked on AFI, was their senior programmer, and we had 100% involvement from all the filmmakers because they could beam in from Nigeria or, or yeah. wherever. So that was great on Zoom. But did people watch, you know, those? It's There's something about having the filmmaker in the room there with you that you can ask a question of and all that. Yeah. And so I... I'm not worried about film festivals going away. I think they're already rebounding. Yeah. I went just for one day to New York film festival last year. And then I went to um, animationist film Oh, cool! in uh, LA. That was a, that was a great film festival. Oh, wow. Since you're out that way, if you ever get a chance, it was yeah. so well done. Uh, the, um, yeah. Yeah. The, the panels were great. It was really fun to get to see movies that just went straight to streaming like they had Luca oh, on right. the big screen. They had Mitchell's versus the machines. Um, and those should be seen on big screens. Really. Yeah. yeah. Vivo. That was on there. So that was really, really, really cool. And then to get here from the filmmakers and, and uh, we got to see bell, which was one of my favorite movies oh, last year. Wow. Yeah. By Hosada. And he was there oh, and introduced the movie. And so, so cool. that was, 
Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. That was so good. So I'm hoping to get to go to that again this year because it was such a great experience. You know, and I um, love, I, I am just a, a fan of, of film festivals. And I, um, one of the great perks that has come about when I was USA, it was I'd be asked to be on juries at film festivals. So I, oh, one interesting. In Zurich, one in Chile. I mean, I've kind of been all over the world, either attending mm-hmm. them or, you know, um, juries. And it's been, it's like one of the best experiences of my life. And I feel like it's like, you know, people, doctors have like continuing medical education or lawyers have continuing legal stuff. It's like continuing education in the world of film criticism because you're sitting with either other film critics or other filmmakers and you're talking about films and you're Mm -hmm. seeing things, you know, in a different way, perhaps just having that conversation that we were talking about at the beginning of the show here, like really analyzing things. Oh, I didn't, I was on the jury in Edinburgh and Frank Langella was on the jury with me and Joe Wright um, it's like, you know, when would you have access to spend five days with these people and talking about ideas over drinks? And it, was, it was pretty great. Have you ever had to lead a panel or uh, do an interview with somebody that a movie that you didn't care for? Well, yeah, all the time. I don't know that I have necessarily given a bad review to something and then had to do a panel, but I, um, no, that's not probably, that's not true. I have done that on, on the radio where I've talked about it and either they haven't heard or they don't pay attention or they're, they're big enough to look beyond it. Um, but cause usually for Hallmark, usually I haven't seen the movie, which is to the benefit when I interview the, you know, the stars and right. like, if I have, sometimes you'll hear me ask a question like, how was it working on that project? <laughs> you know, something like that. Was yeah. that fun? Yeah. I mean, I don't think because- that the thing necessarily that close of attention sometimes your review like in the case of moderating I'm, i do a lot of them during award season so like something gonna come out in october or september and then i'll moderate mm-hmm. in december so unless they're holding a grudge for months on it you know they might they're not going to pay attention um yeah so it's it's usually okay but you know and of course you don't in any way show that you didn't like the movie because your job is simply to draw out the filmmaker right. or the actors and have them talk about the experience and have the audience, you know, I always think of myself as an audience surrogate. It's like you ask the questions that the audience would want to really know the answers to. Yeah. Yeah. I've only ever really had, and this was just online, this wasn't in an interview, but uh, one of the writers, one of the Hallmark movies that I'd been pretty tough on, I, I didn't enjoy a particular one. And, and, uh, and she was like, that was one of my favorites, and, <laughs> and, you know, but, uh, I was like, I'm sorry, I still love you. You're great. <laughs> but I've, I've, I've gone to like events. I remember one time, uh, being at some kind of like a party after a screening and it, I was talking to John Cusack and he, he goes, Oh, once you saw my name, he's like, yeah, you've liked some of my movies. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you know, so like, um, I'll focus on the one that it, I did like, or 10. It was it was funny um, at a, at the Hollywood Critics Association uh, uh, Awards in February. Uh, they had Jamie uh, Dornan was there for Belfast, and uh, he got up and he was like, "The people in this room have said some of the meanest <laughs> things about me." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "That's true." I'm celebrating you now, yeah. <laughs> Fifty Shades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What do you think is the key to a movie that stands out for you when you are programming the festival? Something that you're looking um, for? You know, it depends to, I've programmed a few festivals. I've been program director for Napa Valley, Mendocino, a film festival in Chapel Hill, AFI, and now uh, Santa Barbara. So you also have to take into, obviously, 
into mind, you know, what, who the audience is. Um, I mean, I'm never going to, I'm never going to show a movie that I personally think is bad, but I have shown some movies that I am not been a huge fan of, but I think the audience might like better. Um, what I'm looking for is, you know, something, I also like to challenge people. So every once in a while I'll show a movie, you know, you obviously don't want to program 200 movies that are, that are challenging and off-putting, but you can, out of 200, you could do a few of those, right? And you can, so, you know, ones that people will come up to me afterwards and go, I didn't really like that. Or, I didn't really get that. Or that was disturbing. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's good right. to push yourself out of that comfort zone, but you don't want to do all the movies like that. So it's, I look at so many different factors. I mean, I know film festivals are, um, you know, people love documentaries. People, when I do Santa Barbara, um, it's on the ocean. So people love movies about the ocean, whether it's ocean, you know, like mm -hmm. marine life or surfing or, uh, you know, something else. Um, so I'll take that into account. Um, sometimes it's just, I love a movie so much that it's like, I really want to share that love with other people. And I think they will too. I want to have a lot of countries represented. I want to have a lot of filmmakers represented. Um, again, you know, have enough people who are BIPOC, you know, uh, represent telling LGBTQ stories, you know, just making sure that you mm -hmm. cover as wide a spectrum as possible. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're in a way, I think it's important to enlighten people and have them watch things that, um, that they can learn from or that, you know, um, you know, I was thinking of something like Lunana Yak in the Classroom. You know, when have we ever seen a movie out of Bhutan um, mm -hmm. with a yak? <laughs> with or without a yeah. yak? Um, you know, so those kinds of things. Well, I always feel like there's a couple movies every year that I kind of become my baby and then I'm like champion. That, yes. You know, I try to get, uh, I mean, memorably, I, I loved the film Your Name. 2016. Oh, yeah. We actually, the LA, yes. Film Critics, the of President my... of the LA Film Critics, and we gave that our animation award. Uh, it was so yeah. good. It's a great. I loved that. And that's what um, this year, as critics, if, if, you're in a, if you're in a group, I think, I, I really mm -hmm. feel like the power of the aggregate, you know, like you're able to champion something. But anyway, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Like this year, for me, my baby is um, Hit the Road. I love Hit the Road. I don't know if you've, that's, it's so funny because I, I was loved thinking it. about if you're going to ask me what my favorite movies are so far. And I, I was going to say, uh, Good luck to you, Leo Grant, and Hit the Road. Love that movie. Oh, yes. I just, you know, Jafar Panahi, it's like his son is brilliant too. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what a strong first effort. Oh, my God. And, love it. I mean, you're talking about a, a place that you uh, that I'm you know not familiar no, with being yeah. introduced to and yeah I've seen movies set in Iran but they've always been in the city yes, right and so I've never I've never seen one that showed just these vistas I that know. were so I, beautiful the countryside and, of Iran I never thought about that because I always think about Tehran or whatever where, you know, yeah yeah or um you know we've seen amazing movies by Oscar Farhadi so and those tend to be sort of more urban yeah. movies telling a complicated ethical urban quandary and then here's this movie where they're on a road trip through mm. the countryside i felt like me to me it's like traveling I, the next best thing to actually going somewhere is either to watch a movie and then the next step would be like to read about it but all those yeah. things expose you to the world and you're just you know you learn so much from it and yeah. you're, you're just broadened by the experience and i don't know anybody that couldn't relate to hit the road i mean it's just if you've been on a road yeah. trip 
with a family, hasn't been on a road everybody trip. kind of bickering mm. and yeah, and yeah. Dog and, <laughs> totally relatable. And, you know, if you tell people like, oh, it's they're in the countryside of Iran, you'd think what, what, what I have in common with that. I don't know what the countryside of Iran. Yeah. But no, it's so uh, that's to me one of the best things is films that are very, very specific, either in their location or their story that they're telling, but are also really uh, universal. I mean, I always I use yeah. Moonlight as an example. I don't know what it's like yes. to be an African-American boy who is gay in Florida. And yet I completely related to him and, and yeah. feelings. And I think when you get really specific and you do it well and you do it authentically with honesty and it's going to, you know, we're all going to relate. Yeah. And it's been fun also to see everyone get excited about RRR this year, I think. Have you had a chance to see that yet? No, I haven't. It's so no, good. yeah, yeah. I'm and I haven't seen. Oh my god, there's like stuff that I really need to catch up to. I just, um, and that is mm-hmm. while I was. Have you ever seen a Rajamouli film? No, with a like Bo Bali or no. Well, they're all on Netflix, and it's just, it's just like an experience. It's so exciting to to just dive into a different culture. Yes, and, so exciting to a, do that. Yeah. I know. It's no, so I feel like it's while I was. Um, for the six months that I was working on the film festival, I could only watch the films that were submitted to us. Oh, right. So I missed so much. I missed that last season of Succession that I really wanted to see. You know, like I'm going to catch up to those things eventually, but then there's going to be new things that come up. And um, so and it, I would actually feel sort of resentful because it's like I'm, I'm enjoying the movies that I'm having to watch, but at the same time, I'm missing this, you know what I mean? But yeah. Uh, so now that I have like a little bit of downtime, I'm trying to catch up to it as much as I can. So. Yeah. Well, I can feel that way sometimes, especially at Christmas, like yes. I said, during the holiday right. season. Right. It's, uh, you it's know intense that for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Different times. Uh, that kind of leads into my, uh, my next question is, do you feel optimistic or pessimistic about the state of film? Yeah. We have so much content and so many voices are able to share their content yeah. these days. Uh, That's and, but then, but then, you know, what's happening with, you know, theaters yes. and them being closed for so long. Yes. There's reasons I think for both. There's definitely reasons for both. I overall, I think I'm maybe because by nature I'm more of an optimist than a pessimist. So I, I'm more optimistic than pessimistic, but I certainly am concerned, uh, particularly for independent films and what's going to happen in terms of theatrical distribution here in mm-hmm. LA. We have the, you know, the Lemley theaters are kind of it for, for a lot of independent films. I'm actually on the board of a new up and coming um, film location on the east side of, of LA, which doesn't have a whole lot. It's called Vidiots, and we're going to be opening up this new theater space. Um, oh. So, yeah, didn't the landmark? Wasn't that one that just closed? Landmark just closed. Um, yeah, and we're hearing about that. Yeah, and the, a couple of the Lemleys have closed. So it's it's been a really tough time for theatrical distribution, no question. And if you're not a Marvel movie, you know all of that. Yeah, but I do feel optimistic about storytelling. I, you know, I think it's clearly it's morphing in terms of where we get it, where we see it, whether you see it on your phone, see it on a big screen. I still think that the best way to see things is in a theater. Your your concentration, your focus is going to be much better than, you know, we all are guilty of, we watch things at home, of pausing, checking our phones or, you know, getting up to get something to drink or whatever. So all of that, yeah. is, you know, of course, a negative, but also we're, there's just such good storytelling going on and and so it's hard to be completely negative i and i don't necessarily see the experience of movie going 
just like disappearing. I think it's just changing. And I think it's also too hard to sort of judge it during while we're still kind of in the pandemic. I mean, we sort of feel like we're not, but we are still. And so there's, yeah, I guess I just feel more optimistic than the negative, but I do, I am concerned about the state of theatrical distribution. How could you not be? Yeah. I think that's fair. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the postable, hardy, or Hallmarkie in your life? What about getting that t-shirt or hoodie that will help you stand out at your next holiday party? Now is the time to check out the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Full of festive designs by artists like Jessica Miller, Carrie from Hallmark Comics, and more. You can even have more than just shirts, but totes, cell phone cases, notebooks, mugs, and more. And it isn't just Hallmark. We have designs for Anna Green Gables, Man from Snowy River, The Nanny, and more. Every purchase at the merch store goes to help support the podcast and allows us to make the great content you know and love. There are frequent sales, so go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies or see the link in the description. That's tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies. When I just do one-on-one interviews, I like to end with some fun, silly questions. Okay. So I'm going to give you the the fun, silly questions. Okay. So first question is, what is the best ice cream flavor? Ooh, um, like a gelato. And I am a big chocolate hazelnut person, dark oh, chocolate, okay. but I am also lactose intolerant. So, oh, no, no, my absolute favorite, passion fruit sorbet. Mm. Yes. That sounds good. Sounds good. All right. What's your favorite color? Green. Oh, very good. Um, what music are you listening? Are you into? Ooh, I'm into all kinds of music. Um, not all. I'm not a country person. I'll just put that out mm-hmm. right away. Like, um, <laughs> I'm interested in um, R&B and you know rock. Uh, the, I, you know, I grew up obviously 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, but I'm trying to also, you know, stay as much as I to also be exposed to, uh, you know, what's going on right now. Um, I'll tell you my absolute favorite movie soundtrack is Amelie by Jan Tiersen. Oh, Love that's it. a fun one. Um, I actually have it, one of the songs as my ringtone. Um, but yeah, and I like classical music too. I'm just... I kind of do have a pretty um, eclectic taste in music. You know, they did a Broadway musical of Amelie. They did? How did they Yeah, they that? did. I, it was, yeah, I think it was, oh, I want to say right before the pandemic. Wow. Or, it's not that old. It's not that. I'm not positive, but you should look it oh, up. Oh, I should. Yeah. 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 What is your go-to date night food? Ooh. Or lately we've been saying, what's your DoorDash order? Yeah. <laughs> Probably sushi. Although DoorDash, not so good for sushi. Um, yeah. <laughs> I always love Italian food. I always love Japanese food. Um, yeah. That's some good one. All right. Uh, what's your go-to date night activity to go out and do something? Not going to the movies. <laughs> Although you know, I spent my life doing that. It's so weird to like have as your job what people do. Yeah. Fun. Uh, which is uh, fun. So what is my... I've been married for too long. I'm old. Um, <laughs> going out to dinner. Yeah. And yeah. just, you know, like taking a long walk after that and just kind of chilling. Yeah. We always said if you are going to do the dinner and a movie date, it's best to flip it and do the movie and then dinner. Yes. 
that you can talk about the movies. Yes. Or you can go see dinner. like something like Big Night and go, or, you know, where it's like a certain kind of food is featured and then you go. Yeah. Or like chef. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 That would be fun. All right. What do you prefer dogs or cats? Dogs. Well, I have both. Um, I have two dogs and a cat, so, but I love them both, but I, I'm slightly more into dogs. Uh, beaches or mountains? Beaches. I love beach. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite holiday to celebrate? Thanksgiving. Cause it's food. Oh, nice. <laughs> Any holiday around, <laughs> set around food. I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite? Well, I say Hallmark, but you don't have to, what is your favorite romantic movie? Ooh, um, I'm really actually going back to Leo Grand, although it's not really romantic, but um, I really liked Five Hundred Days of Summer. Yeah, that's a good um, one. I did like La La Land, although I see all the reasons that people didn't like it. it was, um, what else? I liked it. I just didn't think it was like the savior. Of no, musicals. not at all. And it was yeah. <laughs> Moonlight, and Moonlight was like the savior to me. So yeah, I could. Yeah. I was on Team Moonlight. <laughs> Um, you know, it's funny. I always think I'm not a rom-com person. My daughter who's 28 loves rom-coms. And so I've seen some with her, with her explaining why, because I brought her up to explain these things. We have those conversations. Um, now I'm starting to have a a greater appreciation for rom You know what what I liked? This is, I don't know if this is romantic, but, um, it was out, I think this year or the year, or maybe last year. With Issa Rae and oh um birds, it's birds something with yes, lovebirds or something. Is that it? lovebirds? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love I say like, thorn birds. I'm like, no, that's not right. <laughs> I like the concept of like everything that can go wrong does on like this romantic night, like date night. I know a lot of people didn't like the movie mm-hmm. with Tina Fey and Steve Carell. I liked it. I like <laughs> those are kind of like my yeah, you know, like they're funny and weird yeah. and yeah. <laughs> Cool. Very good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming and doing oh, this. I really fun. appreciate it. I enjoyed it's it. It's been so wonderful to get to know you. And uh, I just, I really admire you and uh, in your career. So thank you oh, well, so much for taking the time. It's wonderful to get to know you. And this has been a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Do you have any social media or anything like that you want to share? Yeah. Um, so I am Instagram, I think is what is it? Claudia underscore Puig underscore. Um, Twitter is at Claudia Puig. Um, yeah, that's it, I guess. Great. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put all that in the description. Definitely check it out. And if you're listening, uh, check out our playlist of all, all of the entries of the female film critics panel that we've done over two years of amazing uh, episodes. So please take a look at that. And uh, you can follow me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Round Tomatoes. So check that out. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. That helps us so much. And if you are watching on YouTube, please leave the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Appreciate that so much. And we also have the patron group and merch store where you can get female from critics panels uh, designed uh, items and shirts. And so check check that out. And uh, thanks so much, Claudia. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to y'all. I just think it's such a great idea. I'm so glad you do this. So yes, it's so much fun. It's 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 an honor, and I really really love it. So thanks so much, and we'll talk to you all later. Bye, everyone. Bye.